Welcome to our podcast. I'm Pastor Mark Voss. What is it that you want from Jesus? What are your expectations of him? Is he enough for you? The night before Jesus died, he gave us some tremendous words of comfort and instruction, leading us to see that he is all we truly need. Our sermon today is based on John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Our message is entitled, Lord, You Are More Than Enough. May God bless you as you hear and take to heart the truths of his holy word. Today's gospel reading and the words of our sermon text, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Jesus said to each of us, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know where I'm going. And you know the way. Lord, we don't know where you are going, Thomas replied. So how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you would also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father And that is enough for us. Have I been with you so long, Jesus answered, and you still do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I am telling you, I am not speaking on my own, but the Father who remains in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe because of the works themselves. In Christ alone, our way, our truth, our life, dear friends. Someone comes up to you and says to you, now, don't freak out when I tell you this, but... You know automatically that what they're going to share with you is going to be upsetting to one degree or another. A teenager borrows the family car for the evening, and a little after 10 p.m., Dad's phone rings, and the voice on the other end says, Now, Dad, don't freak out, but... It wasn't a fender bender that Jesus talked to his disciples about, but it was troubling news. He, He was with them in the upper room that night before he died, as they celebrated together what we've come to call the Last Supper. And out of love for his disciples, Jesus gave them fair warning about the kinds of things that were about to transpire over the course of the next 24 hours or so. So following the timeline that John lays out for us in his gospel, we find that Jesus interrupted the happy mood of their Passover meal and just blurted out, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And after they prodded him a little bit more, finally Jesus identified Judas as the one who would betray him. 
And then Jesus told Simon Peter that before the rooster crowed the next morning, Peter would deny even knowing Jesus three separate times. And then he told the disciples that they would all desert him, abandon him in his time of need that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus told them that he was going away and where he was going they could not follow. And then, to top it off, he told them that he would be put to death, but he would rise again. Wow. That's a lot. And then with all these troubling things swirling around in the minds of his disciples, Jesus spoke these words from our text. He said, do not Let your heart be troubled. Fellas, don't panic. Don't freak out. I'm going away. I am departing to prepare a place for you, a a mansion in my father's house. I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. And Thomas... You can't fault Thomas for his question, right? He said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? If you said to me, Pastor, you know how to get where I'm going to be at 3 o'clock this afternoon, right? I would have to say to you, well, I'm not sure where you're going to be at 3 o'clock this afternoon. I might know how to get there, then again, I might not. But for a time this morning, I want to take a little different approach to this text. And I would like to focus on Philip's reaction to all of this and apply it to my life of faith and to help you to apply it to your life of faith. Philip's reaction to all of this troubling news about Jesus going away where they couldn't follow and preparing a place and dying and someone betraying him and them deserting him, his reaction, verse 8, he said, Lord, show us the Father And that's enough for us. What did he mean by that? I think Philip is essentially saying, look, Jesus, what you have taught us and what you have shown us and what you have said to us, well, it's not really enough for these troubled hearts. What our troubled hearts could really use right now, Jesus, is a theophany. An appearance from God. We need a stunning display of the Father's heavenly glory. Maybe Philip was thinking of that voice that thundered from the heavens at Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love. But he's saying, Lord, we need some kind of a sign from God to be able to deal with this big news that you've just sprung on us. That would do it. That, that would be enough for us, Lord. Show us the Father. Would it really, Philip? Would that really be enough? Or if Jesus had granted that request and had shown you the Father in some spectacular way, would your troubled heart have responded by simply making another request from God just to be sure, always needing more? Philip, if you can't rest assured in everything that Jesus has already told you and taught you and shown to you, Is anything ever going to be enough? But I can't come down too hard on Philip because sometimes my heart reacts the same way. Does yours? Probably more often than we care to admit. 
Lord, if you would take away this pain that I'm feeling, if you would just solve this problem that I've been wrestling with, if you would stretch out your mighty hand and grant healing to my loved one, that's all it would take, Lord. That would be enough. Lord, if you could see to it so that just once in my life, I don't find myself having to struggle to make ends meet together. Lord, if you could just guarantee me that I'm going to have a comfortable retirement package, that, that would be enough. Lord, if you would just once and for all take away that temptation that I struggle with so often, you know about that, Lord. If you would just take that temptation away from me and give me the strength to overcome it once and for all, then that would be enough, Lord. Lord, if you would just give me some sign from heaven, something overwhelming, some irrefutable proof that all of this is real and I can absolutely take you at your word, that would be enough, Lord. Lord, if you would just write all this stuff that's wrong in our society today, if you would put an end to the hatred and the bickering and the senseless violence we see every single day, Lord, if you would just bring about a renewal in our country and get us back to the place where I think our country ought to be, then that would be enough for me, Lord. Lord, if you would just grant that we would see more of our church members coming to worship every weekend, more than just the one-third per Sunday that we average, more actively supporting our ministries, that would be enough for me, Lord. You can fill in the blanks. The examples are pretty much endless as to what would be enough for you. But here's the thing. If my heart won't be content with the grace and mercy that God has shown me in my Savior, Jesus Christ, the countless blessings that I have as a citizen of the kingdom of God, thanks to what Jesus has done, if my heart isn't content with that, then I'm afraid nothing will ever be enough. Now, don't misunderstand. I am not saying that it's wrong to pray for healing for yourself or for a loved one. It's not, and you should. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for a deliverance from some temptation that keeps hindering you in your faithful walk with your Lord. It's not wrong to pray that. You should. I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray for a revival of biblical, authentic Christianity in our country today or for our congregation's members to grow in their desire to be more connected to word and sacrament and faith and Christian living. It's not wrong to pray for any of those things. But that prayer offered in faith can quickly become Philip's demand when I find myself thinking, Lord, if you want me to trust you, then you're going to have to do this or that or that. And frankly, that's wrong. And that's sinful. Because then what we're really saying is, Lord, everything that the Bible shows me and teaches me about Jesus and my life in your kingdom now and my coming eternity with you in heaven is not enough. 
If Jesus isn't enough, then honestly, nothing will ever be enough for you. Your heart will simply be constantly making demands that God has to meet to be enough until the next demand comes up. So what's the solution for all this? Well, for one thing, Jesus said, if you know me, you would also know my Father. You know, friend, if you want to know what God is like, what your heavenly Father is like, then spend time studying from the pages of the Bible the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He and the Father are one. Jesus said, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. You know, that that patient kindness and that compassion and that forgiveness you see in the life of Jesus, that's what your heavenly Father is like. Jesus is the perfect reflection of your heavenly Father's perfectly loving heart. And Jesus pointed us to his words. He came to speak the Father's truth, to show people the Father's love. He came to teach them the truths of righteousness and salvation. And Jesus is also pointing us to his works. Think about the miracles that he performed. What do you learn of Jesus from those miracles? Well, you learn that he is the almighty, all-powerful Son of God for whom nothing is impossible. And you know that he has a compassionate heart that wants to help people in their time of need. Those miracles paved the way for the message that Jesus came to share about forgiveness and salvation. They led people to put their trust in him, but, but when it comes down to it, it really was all about this one big, grand, saving work of Jesus. And that's what Jesus meant when he spoke these familiar words, I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, the original Greek there could certainly be translated, I am departing to prepare a place for you. A number of translations in the way that some of us learned it growing up, Jesus said, I am going there to prepare a place for you. The word there is not in the Greek. Jesus simply said, I am going, I am departing to prepare. What did he have in mind? This going, this departing, included going to Gethsemane that night where he understood he would be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He was going to do that. And so after he was done praying with his disciples, he said, rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. This going, this departing included Jesus going willingly into the custody of those who were his enemies and allowing himself to be put on trial. This going, this departing of Jesus meant walking to that hill Friday morning to lay down his life, to be the atoning sacrifice for my sins and yours and for the sins of the whole world, to win our forgiveness, to pay in full our sin debt to God. It included going to the grave to die our death. And Jesus' resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday and his ascending back into heaven 40 days after that was proof that he was right. He had done everything to prepare a place for you. His work was finished. By his doing and living and dying and rising again, Jesus has prepared a mansion for you in heaven. 
And as you continue to love and trust in Jesus, your Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, when his time is exactly right, Jesus will come back and take you to be with him there forevermore. Your soul, when you die, your body joined with your soul after Judgment Day. All of that, dear Christian, is yours in Christ. Does that not lead you to say, Lord, I don't need anything more than that from you. You are all I ever need, not just now, but forever. You are more than enough, Lord. So now we circle back to the opening words of our text. What is really the solution for all the things that trouble our hearts in life? Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. He is God and Lord. He and the Father are one. Trust him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Trust him because Jesus is the life. Trust him because of all that the Bible declares that he has done for you. His living and dying and rising again for you. He is the life. Your life for now, the life that you find in him, a life with, with joy and peace and contentment because he's your savior and loves you and a life that you'll have abundantly forever in heaven. Find your life in the one who is the life. Trust him because he's the truth. Because of all these amazing promises that Jesus made to you here in the pages of the Bible, he will absolutely keep every single one of those promises because his word can never be broken. Jesus doesn't just tell you the truth. Jesus is your truth. Trust him because he's the way. Don't trust your goodness. Don't trust what a wonderful person you are, but you are. Don't trust your faith. Don't trust anything that you have done. Trust Jesus. He is the way. No one, no one, no matter what he says, no one comes to the Father, into the Father's house, into heaven's mansions, except through faith in Jesus. He is your way. So really, what happens when our hearts pay attention to the grace that the Father has shown us in Christ Jesus? Our troubled hearts are calmed, and they're cured, and they're strengthened, and they are peacefully content to know that no matter how troubling things in life may get, we have Jesus. He lives, he loves us, he's on his throne. He's your way, your truth, your life trust him. He's the one who came to carry out the Father's plan to save you from every single one of your sins. Trust him. He is the one who's living and dying, whose resurrection and ascension into heaven has prepared a mansion of glory that has your name on it. Trust him. He is the one who is and who forever will be more than enough your Savior. Trust Him. Amen.